Well, hello everyone and welcome to Gospel Community Providence. We are a small community of Jesus followers in Providence, Rhode Island. Our goal in life is to be the family of God, redeemed and transformed by Jesus, living out God's mission in our culture. You're listening to content created specifically for our church community, and the thoughts and teachings that you'll find here come from a study of the Bible that is informed by some of the best thinkers and followers of Jesus today and throughout church history. Just a heads up, you may hear a variety of voices and distractions and noises in the background. This is because we are a church of families with real lives full of children, noise, and interruptions. We celebrate these noises, however, because they remind us that real life is not a perfectly curated moment, but is full of opportunities to worship Jesus through the messy, unflattering, and mundane. In addition to this, you may hear the voices and comments of various audience members throughout the teaching. While this often causes our time to go a little long, it also deepens and enriches our time together as we discuss what we are learning and reflect on how to live it out. So bear with us. We are not professionals, but we are imperfect people who love and serve a perfect God. Let's go. Thanks, Zeke. All right, we are in Luke. We're jumping right in into Luke, um, into one of probably two of the most famous, most memorable, most known parables uh, in the entire Bible. Right, this is probably second only to the parable of the lost son. Right, uh, the prodigal son. Um, everyone has heard of this. Parable, right? Whether or not you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard this parable, right? Uh, you, if you haven't heard the parable, you've at least heard the phrase "the good Samaritan." What does that mean? When someone is a good Samaritan, good person, nice person. a nice person, yeah. And you're walking down the street, you see a homeless guy, you you, you know throw some change his way. You're being a good Samaritan, 
right? You've heard this phrase again and again and again. I've heard it even from non-Christians. It's just a common expression at this point. Most likely, uh, the story that you've grown up hearing when you've heard the story of the Good Samaritan, it goes something like this. A man is walking down the street uh, and he gets robbed, he gets mugged, he gets beaten up. They take his stuff, they take his clothes, and they leave him half dead. And as he's laying there half dead, a priest and a Levite come by. And they're the religious people, by the way. Right? They're the pastor and like the deacon that like, walk by, and they just kind of walk past him. Uh, and then a, a, a little bit later, a, a good Samaritan comes by, and he's the only one who helps him. Right? And the lesson, if you've ever grown up in a Sunday school, if you've ever grown up going to uh, uh, churches where the, this, this sermon has been taught, the lesson typically goes something like this. Right? Be more like the good Samaritan. Be less like the priest and the Levite. Right? Maybe, maybe, you've, maybe you've been a little bit like the priest or the Levite in the past and you need to kind of repent of that. And next time you see someone on the road, you need to make, make sure you, you be a, remember, you need to be a little bit more like the good Samaritan. Right? Is this the sermon that you've heard in the past? Right? That's the lesson that we've been taught when we read this passage. And like, if you're like me, you've probably walked away from that kind of a lesson um, maybe feeling a little bit guilty. Right? Maybe feeling a little bit of shame. Man, I, I did walk by that guy the other, the other day. I didn't do what the Good Samaritan did. Maybe I am a priest or a Levite. Right? How often have I walked past somebody who needs my help and I've just looked the other way? Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be more like the Good Samaritan. I'm going to go and I'm going to do this. Right? The next time I see someone, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help them. Right? That's probably, if you're like me, the lesson that you've walked away with from this passage. Uh, the only problem with this version of the story uh, is, is the gospel. Okay? The only problem with this version of the story is the gospel. Right? Every single religion on earth right, will tell you what you need to do in order to earn God's favor. Right? You need to do this trip or take care of this uh, group of people or you have to say this amount of prayers. And if you do these things, you're going to earn God's favor. You're going to uh, go to heaven. You're going to experience God's blessing, whatever it is, or the blessing of the gods or whatever. Right? Christianity, biblical Christianity, right, is the only religion that does not talk about what we need to do. It talks about what's already been done. Okay? So if we read this particular parable through the wrong lens, we're actually going to walk away from this passage with a legalistic religious interpretation right, of what you and I need to do in order to be quote-unquote good Christians. I don't think, as a matter of fact, I, I, I'm confident that this is not what Jesus intended with this passage. Right, I'm going to pray. I'm going to jump into this. I'm going to show you what he actually intended. This is beautiful. Uh, Lord Jesus... Thank you so much that you have already done everything that needs to be done on our behalf. I don't need to earn your favor today. I don't have to preach a good sermon today in order to experience your love and your grace and your favor upon me. This morning, I ask for your Holy Spirit to open our eyes and our ears to hear the scriptures, to be touched by the scriptures, to be challenged by the scriptures, so that we walk away not trying to be better, so that we walk away in your grace. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Luke 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he asked him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live, right? And it's easy for us, because we know that the next thing that's coming is the story of the Good Samaritan, it's easy for us to kind of skip past uh, this introduction, right? We got to get to the meat of the story, the, the good part of the story, the Good Samaritan, right? It's important for us not to skip past the introduction because this is actually probably the most critical part of the entire passage, okay? Uh, remember, Jesus is journeying to Jerusalem. He's on his way. He's stopping in these various villages along the way, and he's teaching about the kingdom of God. And this man comes up and asks him a question, and this is normal for Jesus, right? He, he's, it's common for people to come to him uh, and ask him questions and ask him to fill in the details or fill in the blanks in some areas that they don't understand, Right? And so this man asked the question, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Have you ever asked a question like that or a variation of it? And what do I need to do just to please God? Like, what does God actually want from me? Right? How do I know that I know that I know that I'm going to be in heaven? Right? If you've ever asked that kind of question, you know this is it's just a basic core level question. Right? And Jesus being the master teacher that he is, he doesn't answer the question. He redirects it. <laughs> right? he, he answers the question with another question, which is mildly infuriating, but also extremely helpful. Right? This man, Luke tells us, is a lawyer. Right? The, uh, another translation, some of your other translations might say he is a religious expert in the law. Right? This was someone who has studied and studied and studied the scriptures. He's got a doctorate, a PhD in, in, the, in the Old Testament scriptures. Right? He knows the scriptures better than anyone else in the room. He's normally the one that people go to to ask questions. You guys hear the echo? <laughs> Killing me. Um, he's normally the one uh, that, uh, that the people come to to ask questions. So why is this guy coming to Jesus? Right? Why is he coming to Jesus? And Luke, uh, he tells us that he's coming because he wants to test Jesus. I don't automatically assume that that's a bad thing, right? We're told in the scriptures that we need to test the spirits, right? When someone is teaching, we need to test to make sure that what they're teaching is accurate, right? Second Corinthians actually tells us to test ourselves to make sure that we're in the faith. And that word test is the exact same word used by Luke right here. There's certainly a, a healthy level of testing that needs to happen. And if he's a religious leader, he needs to make sure, okay, is, is this stuff that Jesus is saying actually line up? Uh, but more and more often in Jesus' life, he is actually having people who are coming to him to test him in order to trip him up. Right? And we're going to see in just a minute that this is probably more of the motivation of this particular lawyer. Okay, the question this man asks is a basic one. Right? How do I know that I'm going to heaven or hell? Right? How do I know what God wants from me? And it is never, ever, ever a problem to ask Jesus a question, to come Jesus to Jesus with your questions. And he welcomes it. He's not offended by it. He's not angry at this lawyer for coming with a question. Right? He is welcoming, welcoming him and his questions. And Jesus' response is brilliant on three different levels. Okay, number one, uh, he doesn't just answer his questions. Uh, he, he wants to lead him to find the answer for himself. Just brilliant teacher move. 
Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, I'm going to try to get you to come to the answer by yourself. Number two, uh, Jesus redirects the man back to the scriptures. This is, this is critical for Jesus. He does this all of the time. When he's asked questions, he redirects the authority back to the scriptures. What do the scriptures say? Right? They're sufficient. You can trust them. Right? And number three, Jesus invites this man into a dialogue and he welcomes his opinion. I love that question. How do, how do you read it? Right? You've, you've read the scriptures. What, what does it mean to you? Right? That's a beautiful question. It just invites dialogue and conversation. And so the man responds by quoting two different Old Testament passages. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6 and he quotes Leviticus 19. And the first one is a part of what's called the Shema. Uh, which is uh, any, any good, faithful Jewish man would have prayed this prayer every morning and every evening. It is critical and core to their faith. Uh, and this answer that he gives, that this lawyer gives, is actually the same answer that Jesus has given on, number, on numerous occasions. And what does God actually want from me? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And here's the kicker. Uh, if you and I could do that, Jesus says that we would fulfill all of the entirety of the Old Testament scriptures because everything else falls under those two categories. If you and I could actually faithfully, completely, perfectly love the Lord our God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourself, you would end up satisfying the law of God. Right? And in case you're wondering, the Old Testament would teach that you would then inherit eternal life. There would be no need for sacrifices. There would be no need for Jesus' death and resurrection. You have achieved perfection. So the, the Jesus tells the lawyer, yeah, you've got it. That's right. Go and do that. <laughs> What's the problem with that? You and I can't actually do that. right? We, we cannot actually ultimately Love God perfectly and love our neighbors perfectly. You haven't. I haven't. That echo's killing me. Um, man, we've, we've ultimately fail to love God with all of our hearts. We ultimately fail to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we make excuses for ourselves, right? And there's certain people, like, I mean, that guy. Do I really have to love that guy? And he's a pain in the butt. Do I really have to love that guy? Right? Um, do I really have to put Jesus before everything else in my life? Right? What about my job? That's pretty important, right? What about my home? I need to make sure that my family has a place to live. That's important, right? right? We're told to love God above all else, and you and I consistently, regularly put other things above him. Right? Jesus understood what this man and what you and I often fail to understand that we're ultimately incapable of satisfying the law of God. We can't do it. Right? And we're therefore unable to actually inherit eternal life on our own. And so this man, he knows, uh, he knows that he hasn't lived up to these expectations, uh, but he also is trying to like find the loophole. Right? Where is the loophole here? Right? When you and I tend, when we, this is what, what I tend to do. I think you do this as well. When you and I realize that we're failing at something, our first and natural reaction is typically to try to move the line. Right? 
Right, if that's the finish line, I'm going I'm to bring it a little. I can't run a 5K, guys. Come on. Maybe I'll just do a, a 1K. I'm going to move the line, but I'll say that I ran a 5K. Right, I'm going to jump in halfway through. I'm going to move the line. Right, that doesn't work like that. Right, you can't lower the, the standard of expectation that God has set for us. Right, so surely God doesn't expect me to love everyone, right? What about the terrorists and the Nazis and the people that go around you know, raping and abusing and murdering people? I don't have to love those people, right? Surely there's got to be some group of people that is excluded from that category. And Jesus is not giving him any wiggle room. Right, the moment that you and I start to excuse and justify ourselves, we've actually just proven, we've revealed our in, the inevitability of our failure. Verse 29, he says, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Right? Where do I draw the line, Jesus? In, in, in this man's uh, day and age, in Jesus' day and age, it was actually commonly taught that there are certain people you, you had to love and there's other people you didn't have to love. Okay, you, if, you, if they were a fellow Israelite, you have to love them, although we both know that we don't love everyone. Uh, but if they were a Gentile or if they were uh, Roman, you could you can hate those people. Those are enemies of God. Right? I can have hatred towards them. And so he knows. His question reveals that he knows he has failed at this. Verse 30, Jesus replied, and this is so we go into our parable. A man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, passed by on the other side. And uh, Jerusalem, if you're not familiar with Israel, is built on top of a mountain. And so it doesn't matter which direction you go to leave Jerusalem, you're going down from Jerusalem. Right? And this road from Jerusalem to Jericho uh, was actually notoriously known as a dangerous road. Right? There's lots of twists and turns. There's lots of caves you can hide in. And so it was commonly known, don't go down this road by yourself. There's robbers hiding in the caves. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna ambush you. And so anyone listening to this sermon would have said, this guy's an idiot. Why is he going down this road by himself? He knows this is dangerous. Right? And this man, he's, he, whether or not he's being foolish or whatnot, uh, he goes down, he quickly finds out why. Don't, why you don't go down this road by yourself. He gets attacked, he's robbed, he is beaten, and he's left half dead on the side of the road. And he is, without a doubt, going to die. He knows it. He's going to die. And even as he's giving up all hope by luck, a priest comes by, a religious leader. This is like a pastor comes by and this man says, oh, I'm saved, I'm good, I'm all set. It's going to be okay. And the man passes by. A little bit more time goes by and he's sinking deeper and deeper into his despair and he hears another set of footsteps and a Levite comes by. A Levite was like an assistant to the priest, right? It's like a deacon in the church or uh, maybe a, a team leader, a ministry leader, a, a, a gospel community leader walks by. He's like, that's it. This, these guys love to help others. He's going to help me. And he walks by. Right? And we could go around and discuss their motives and their failures all day. Maybe the priest had important, like, you know, ritual sacrifices he had to get to. He was running late, 
Right? Maybe uh, the Levite was afraid that the robbers might like, pop out and get him. This could be some kind of a trap. Right? We don't, Luke doesn't tell us their motives. It doesn't actually really matter. What matters is that they consciously saw him and they consciously chose to move on and not help. And so out of the blue, uh, a good Samaritan comes by. If you remember from our teaching in chapter 9, um, uh, calling someone a good Samaritan is, is like an oxymoron. It's like a jumbo shrimp. It's like something being icy hot. Right? There's no such thing as a good Samaritan. Right? Jews and Samaritans hated one another. They were enemies of all enemies. Right? Jews would rather travel twice as far to go across the Jordan River, go down the opposite bank in order to go to Jerusalem, rather than save like half the trip and just go through Samaritan land. They just don't want to get the Samaritan dust on their feet. That's how much they hate these people. And Samaritans hate when Jews come through their lands, through their towns, and they reject them, and they ignore them, and they push them out. Right? So if you ask someone, uh, you know, what is a good Samaritan, they would laugh at you. There's no such thing. Right? The only good Samaritan is a dead Samaritan. Right? And so if a godly priest and a godly Levite weren't going to help this man, surely this Samaritan is going to pass right by. Right? The fact that Jesus chooses a Samaritan as the hero of this story would have been the most ridiculous and absurd part of the story to the listeners. Right? This guy's the enemy. Right, this, this, this beaten up, half-naked man, half-dead man, sitting on the side of the road, was probably thinking, I'd rather have the robbers come back by than have this guy help me. And yet this Samaritan has compassion on him. He binds up his wounds. He sacrifices his own comfort, places him on his own animal, takes him to an inn and pays for everything. And doesn't just do that. He's, he opens a running tab and he says, anything else that this man needs, I'll pay for it. I'll take care of it. This is an absolutely unheard of kind of love. This is an enemy-loving kind of love. And it sounds a little strangely familiar, doesn't it? When Jesus asked the lawyer which of these men was actually his neighbor, the lawyer can't even get himself to say the word Samaritan. He says, the man that showed mercy. And Jesus tells him, go and do likewise. Right? If we're not careful, like I said at the beginning, we're going to walk away from this passage thinking that we need to be less like the religious guys who ignored the man and more like this good Samaritan who is sacrificial towards this man. Right? Next time, be more like the good Samaritan. The end. Here's the kicker. You ready? The point of this entire parable is not to answer the man's second question. Who is my neighbor? The point of this entire parable is to answer the man's first question. How do I inherit eternal life? Right? If you read this story earlier and you identified, you tried to identify yourself as, am I the priest or the Levite or the Samaritan? If that's what was running through your head, you've missed the point. Right? We are not the hero of this story. You and I are not the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan. We're the dude in the ditch. I'm the beaten up, half naked, half dead man lying in the street, unable to save myself, 
guaranteed to die. Okay? And there's only one good Samaritan in this story, and his name is Jesus. Right? He is the one who came from me while I was his enemy, right? But he is the one who binds up my wounds. He's the one who takes me to his father's house and makes sure that everything is taken care of. He's the one who assures and ensures that all of my needs are cared for and that I will become whole again, no matter the cost. In sharing this parable, Jesus is doing, the whole point of parables, by the way, the whole point of parables is to hide a simple truth from those that think that they are wise and to make it abundantly obvious to those who are humble and willing to hear the truth. That's the whole point of a parable. What is, which, which of those categories does a religious expert in the law think that he falls into? He's the, he's the wise one. And he walks away having completely missed the point. How do you and I actually inherit eternal life? It's not by anything I do. I can't do anything. It's not about being less like this guy and more like that guy. Right? We inherit eternal life by grace, through faith, in the only true good Samaritan, Jesus. And the irony is that if I accept that, if I accept that I'm the man in the ditch and Jesus is the true good Samaritan, the Holy Spirit comes in, transforms my heart, and actually makes me more like the good Samaritan. All of a sudden, I'm walking by someone on the street, and I don't help them because I've, you know, I've said, you know, Tim taught a sermon, and I need to go be a better Samaritan. I don't help him because I, I want to be a better Christian. I help him because my heart has been transformed, and I experience compassion and love for this person. Right? If you and I walk away from a passage like this feeling shame and condemnation, if we walk away with more to-dos, man, we've, we've walked away missing the point. I want to close with three reflection questions. I don't really have an, a thing for you to do here. There's no like, go be like this in this passage. I want you to process through three reflection questions and maybe the only thing we need to do is spend some time in confession and repentance. Jesus, forgive me for trying to earn my own salvation, for trying to earn my, my, my good Samaritan status. Maybe that's all we have to do here. But listen to these three reflection questions. They're in the, in the Sunday guide. Uh, and we'll throw them into the, uh, the group's guide this week as well. Question number one. How often do you find yourself trying to earn God's favor by doing good things or by trying to be a better Christian? Maybe you did that this morning. All right, number two. How does the fact that Jesus came from me while I was half dead, lying in a ditch, change how I view Jesus? What does that do to your heart? This is something to journal about and process through. Get away sometime this week and pray through. Man, I am the man in the ditch. Jesus is the only true good Samaritan. What does that do to me? And question three. How does a proper understanding of Jesus as the only true good Samaritan change the way I view those who are in need around me?
me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you came for us while we were your enemies. You came for us while we were dead in our sins. You healed us. You took us to your Father's house. You covered all of our needs. And Jesus, this morning, we repent of our goodness. We repent of trying to be better Christians, Samaritans, whatever, Jesus. We recognize that you are the only one who fits that category. And we confess, Jesus, that it's only grace through faith in you that allows us to inherit eternal life. This morning, as we return to the gospel, as we return to this centering truth that there's nothing that we can do, would you use that by your Holy Spirit to change and transform us into true good Samaritans? Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.